boy, Ecclesiastes, I'm sure you, you might have felt this last week as well, but it's, it's like a two-by-four over your head a little bit, isn't it? It's brutally honest about reality, it's brutally honest about life, and it pulls no punches. And if we're not careful, we might get the sense that Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes to the assembly of God's people to give them wisdom as he departed life, he, uh, we, we might get the sense that, oh, he's just depressed and he's trying to make us feel depressed as well. That's not the case with this book. Solomon's trying to create an argument for us to experience life to the fullness and to live as wise people um, in the world because the, the most wise way to live is the way that God intended for us to live and that God intends for us to live. There's a great song. I'm sure everyone knows it. <laughs> it's by U2 called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Do you know that song? My terrible singing, but it's a it's a great song. And th that's a song that's on all about Ecclesiastes. Here are some of the, the it's it's the same types of themes where he, where he says, I have climbed the highest mountains, I've run through the fields only to be with you, I've run and I've crawled, I've scaled city walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And he goes on in the same type of things of uh, of, of finding he's kissed honey lips, felt healing in fingertips, burn like fire, this burning desire, spoken with tongues of angels, hand, held the hand of the devil. I was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that's really what what Solomon talks about in the, just the first couple of verses, isn't it? Constantly searching uh, for what it means to live a, to live a life that that is meaningful and that is well almost in some sense lasting uh, that has purpose and he keeps on looking and looking and looking but he still hasn't found what he's looking for thankfully this song by U2 actually ends pointing us to the same way that 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 uh, Solomon is going to point us towards by the end of the book um, so if you if you really want to know that you can you can search it online or someone can put the song in the comments that would be great as well. But let's um let's refocus on the text itself. If you remember from last week, we talked about this word meaningless that is hap that is uh, being repeated over and over by Solomon throughout this text, and the word translates that's uh, often translated as meaningless actually means something like vapor. And we talked. I talked a bit about a candle and couldn't find one uh, nearby, but now I have one. Just to show you exactly what we're talking about when we talk about vapor. Vapor is like this. Do you see the vapor, the smoke? That's what Solomon is talking about. That we define our life by attempting to grab the smoke, grab the vapor. But what happens? The vapor can't be grabbed. Our life is like this vapor, and we just try to we try to grasp hold of it and, and try to make sense of it but it's all for naught all the things in our life will come to an end as as we said last week death comes for us all and it's true it's the great equalizer and we see this in the in the text today 
vapor uh, as Solomon sees it. He says, all of life is a vapor. And he says, my vantage point is under the sun. The vantage point that Solomon takes for trying to find what a wise life is, what a full life is, is under the sun. That is, uh, he has, he's taking a very human vantage point and human perspective that is inherently limited in scope. He is not even attempting, it seems, to find God's perspective in the midst of life. Instead, he's saying, I'm searching the world and trying to find what it means to live as wise and as a, as full a life as I can possibly get. And he's, that's that life, he says, this is meaningless. And we see this vantage point idea come out in other texts, like in, in the book of Job, when Job is talking with God about all of the the hardship that has uh, that 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 befell on Job, and uh, he he laments to God and he accuses God, and then God responds with something to the uh, to the uh, idea of where were you when I set the stars into place? Where were you when I created the seas? Where were you when I created you and all other beings? Where were you? You didn't have you don't have a vantage point. Essentially, God is saying to Job. To be able to understand the intricacies of the universe. But Solomon says, well, I know which vantage point I do have. And Solomon uses that vantage point to try to teach us what does it mean to have a meaningful life and a purpose-filled life. And essentially, he's going to argue that instead of being defined by trying to grab all the different vapors in life, all the, all the pleasures and riches and uh, good things and bad that come through life, trying to define ourselves on those, he's going to argue that we should structure our lives around something that will actually fulfill and satisfy the longing of our souls. So we see in this passage a number of things that we often look to to find fulfillment and satisfaction. Right off the bat, um, in your Bible and may, well, in my Bible, and I'm assuming many of yours as well, this section's actually titled Pleasures Are Meaningless. And remember, when you see meaningless, you can sort of bracket it off and say vapor uh, as a mental reminder that it's not just meaninglessness, there's something else that's happening in the text. It's vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow, or even uh, here today, grasped and disappears. Beautiful and enchanting when it's here but it doesn't last. Pleasures are meaningless. Pleasures are vapor. And Solomon says this. He, he, he says, I'll, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. He's saying this to himself. But he said that proved to be meaningless. He said laughter is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? Laughter is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? There is probably nothing that is more obviously vaporous than pleasure because it's here for a second and then it disappears, isn't it? Laughter doesn't last and last and last and last for days on end. Laughter happens in a moment and then it's gone. You can't grasp it. You can't can it. Pleasure is the same way. You can't, uh, you can't trap it and you can't hold on to it. It's either here or it's not. And that's the way it is. It's a vapor. It's a vapor of life. 
So he says, very obviously, I think, pleasure is meaningless. Pleasure is a vapor. But he says even more than that. He says, what does pleasure accomplish? Essentially, uh, he's, he's saying that like pleasure has no meaning in and of itself that, that accomplishes a goal. And so just, to, just if you're trying to build your life on a life of pleasure, you're not actually building anything of your life or in your life. It's not going to accomplish anything. He said, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing Foley. He wandered to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. But all he found was meaninglessness. All he found were just vapor. It didn't, pleasure doesn't satisfy us and it doesn't profit us. It doesn't build us up. And oftentimes we find this out, but then our sin says, you know what? You don't feel fulfilled by your pleasure because you need even more pleasure. You need even more pleasure in your life. You don't feel fulfilled. You don't feel satisfied. You need more laughter. And so we'll go seeking after laughter, even though it's just a vapor. We say, I need to feel fulfilled and I need to feel something so I'll have more wine. And that made me feel a little bit good. I have a little bit of pleasure, but now I want more pleasure. So have more wine. That's a very obvious one, actually, because the because it it'll actually reverse on itself. And the thing that you're finding pleasure in will become your demon. That's what sin tries to do. Sin in our life. And while Satan tries to use our sin... Uh, in that way to to twist our hearts away from God in, in all sorts of uh, disturbing ways. These things that we find pleasure in will not give us meaning and purpose. So, Solomon says, I took undertook many building projects and he, he starts going through all of these different accomplishes he, he says i i started building things i built home homes massive homes and home for god solomon built the temple he built god's house on earth <laughs> um and the in the ancient world he built gardens he he collected livestock and immense immense wealth and we do the same thing ourselves we build things for ourselves we try to gain homes and gardens we try to accumulate wealth and and be uh the the word is sort of we try to make something of ourselves and oftentimes we think in the same terms that solomon seems to have been thinking in where if i just got this thing i'll be fulfilled and happy if i just got this other thing just one more thing uh, I would feel fulfilled in my life I think we sometimes think to ourselves I would feel happy or fulfilled if I had a, a house uh, or more money or more food especially at a buffet right I know we can't go to them right now but I don't know about you every time I'm at a buffet I'm like oh I'm really full uh, but I'm gonna feel even better if I just have one more plate right but like we're, I'm coming to you from our from my and Jess's kitchen table in our tiny little two bedroom apartment in downtown Hamilton, uh, and it's 
served our needs and it's it's wonderful we we love living in our building uh, but it's really easy for us to get down on ourselves especially about something like owning a house because we see all of our friends uh, buying houses throughout the throughout the province really throughout the country and we said oh if we just had a house maybe we'd feel a certain level of fulfillment and satisfaction but you know what it's just not true you know what would happen you know what happens if you get another if you get a house or more money or a bigger house you get more food uh, you get more problems that come from them and they're fleeting they don't last after you eat all that food you know what you have to do couple of hours later you have to eat more food it doesn't last money gets spent houses need repairs we think I will be happy or fulfilled when but it's just not true and right now in our cultural context I think the thing that we maybe think the most is I will be happy or I will feel fulfilled when essentially I'm living my best life when I when I'm fulfilling the desires of my heart when I am doing the thing that I feel inside me is who I am I, I'm I'll be happy or fulfilled when I am true to myself uh, but consistently over and over again this text scriptures the scriptures and and really I think the the breadth of human experience would say that is just not livable and it's not fulfilling in the long run Solomon would tell us at the end of the day we are just going to be uh, we are going to be just as unfulfilled as we were before if we try to live our best lives and fulfill all of our desires and we're still going to be searching we won't find what we're looking for and so sometimes I think we find a solution we say well if we're not gonna find fulfillment in our accomplishments maybe we can find fulfillment in just living life as a good person and Canadian Christians in particular like to think of that as being the basis line for what it means to follow Jesus if I'm a good person that means that I'll get into heaven which is not true we get into heaven because of Jesus and our faith in Jesus and accepting his grace being a Jesus follower doesn't just mean living life as a good person being a Jesus follower means sacrificing our life to live sacrificially for Jesus Christ and if we're not doing that we're not following Jesus in the way that we are called to as his followers so we think well I'll just live as a good person well that's nice but our measure as Christians is Jesus who was the ultimate good person are we living up to his standard that's really the question and if we're not then the solution that I just need to live as a good person is actually a, a, a condemnation of us Whereas we could actually just approach Jesus, approach his throne of grace and receive forgiveness and be empowered by his spirit to do the good works that he has prepared for us to do. Oh, but how often do we not because we just make it about ourselves. If I live as a good person, if I do this, if I do that, 
We have no concept of sacrifice anymore, do we? Of saying, I'm not going to live for myself, but I live for the one who died for me and raises me to new life. That's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. I, I, I got a little bit off track there. Let's refocus in on the text. Uh, Solomon starts talking then about wisdom. In verse 12, after saying that he's denied himself nothing that his eyes desired. So this is where tying back in. In verse, uh, in verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. To toil. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Nothing was gained under the sun. Well, if I just live according to my desires, according to what I want to do, according to how I feel is true to myself, Solomon says, guess what? It's meaningless. Everything is vapor. It's a vapor. You're just chasing after the wind. I'm not sure if you've ever done that before. It's not possible. <laughs> you can't chase the wind. You'll never catch up. You'll just exhaust yourself. And at the end of it, feel, uh, well, feel exhausted. So he says, I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom. He even pushes back against wise living as a solution to some of these, pro to this problem of what does it mean to, to, to uh, live a fulfilled life? He says, well, if you think you just can accumulate human wisdom, what happens? First off, he says, wisdom is better than folly. It is better to be wise than a fool. But over the course of life, wisdom tends to be delayed. And so we sometimes don't see wise decisions bear fruit until a really long time afterwards. And he, uh, Solomon makes really clear that even that is sort of meaningless because the fools and the wise are going to end up in the same place. They're going to end up in the same place. We see this in verse 15. He said to, I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. And what do I gain from being wise? This too is meaningless. For the wise like the fool will not be long remembered the days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. And so he says even wisdom, grasping for the wisdom under the sun, grasping for, uh, for wise living from the human perspective is just meaningless because at the end of the day, we're all in the same place anyways. And so he says this, I hated life. <laughs> I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. This is where he, he's sort of getting himself into a depression, isn't he? And maybe he's getting us into one as well. He says, all of it was meaningless. It's all chasing after a wind. I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Now that's interesting, right? 
that's interesting. He says, I, the, the, the thing that's on the top of his mind is that he doesn't get to experience the, uh, the, the pleasures of life into infinity in the way that he, that in the way that he thinks that he, he, he should, because of the desires of his heart, he says, oh, this is so toilsome because I'm going to build something up and then I have to pass it on to the next generation. This can be our mentality as well. And we need to guard it, guard, guard our hearts from it of saying, um, of saying that we will, well, you know, I don't, I don't even know the words to describe this, but there's a story in the old Testament about a King who has a prophecy given to him. And he says, when your son comes to power, the kingdom of Israel is just going to be totally destroyed in battle. And that not things are not going to go well and he says well so long as it doesn't happen while i'm king that can be our mentality and that's seems to be solomon's taking on this mentality as he thinks about things and thinks about the toilsomeness of life we need to protect ourselves from this especially because of this he says this too is meaningless it's a vapor. He has, he, even his think his own thinking, he still hasn't realized yet that it's all vapor. It's all vapor. It's all meaningless. And so his heart, dis his, his heart, he says, despairs for everything that he's toiled for under the sun. And he says, a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. He's, he's starting to talk about work and, and how we can gain pleasure from the actual act of work. And we expect that pleasure to continue after we've fulfilled the work, but it's just not, it just doesn't happen. Excuse me. We, if we don't gain pleasure from accomplishments or gathering wisdom, what about leaving a heritage or an inheritance? What if we leave something for others? And essentially, Solomon begins to describe uh, this mentality of work that finds pleasure in the work, but doesn't find pleasure in the ends of the work. Now, if you're a woodworker, if you've ever done any woodworking or any creation of a craft, you might experience this because you'll work on the craft and all the intricacies of it. You'll put you'll put the 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 chair together, or you'll you'll stitch the cross stitch, or uh, weave a blanket, or something. Uh, <laughs> you'll do these crafts, and you will enjoy the process of the creation. But then what happens? It's done, and I'm willing to bet most people. Maybe enjoy the thing that they've created for a couple of minutes, and then they say, okay, on to the next thing, because the pleasure is finished. They don't find pleasure in the finished work. They find pleasure in the, in the process. So Solomon says, a person can do nothing. Oh, pardon me. Uh, he says, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun? What do they get? It's all, we work hard. And we might find pleasure that's just vaporous, he's been telling us. But what do we get at the end of it? We might 
work and work and work for more money, more possessions, maybe more freedom. But what do we get at the end of the day? More money, more problems. More money, more problems. We have more possessions and we feel like we have to get rid of them. We feel like we have more freedom, but the freedom that we think that we have enslaves us, scripture says actually. We become enslaved to these things. All the days of our work is grief and pain. Even at nights, our minds do not rest. Even at night, we're thinking about the work that we need to do. He says, this is just meaningless. It's just a vapor. It's what we focused on. But Solomon doesn't want to leave us in a depression. And so he makes a final, really beautiful uh, concluding thought as he transitions into a new section of the book. He says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. It's not meaningless, it's from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand in it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon says, what is a meaningful life? What does it mean to live a meaningful, purposeful life? It means finding contentment and satisfaction in God and the good gifts God has given us. All the things he's talked about, pleasure and accomplishments and wisdom and work, he said they're all meaningless, but they are gifts given to us by God that we get to enjoy. And if we approach them as gifts, they stop being just these things that are meaningless toilsomeness. We get to experience the joy of good gifts given to us by God. And all of a sudden, all of life bursts with meaning and purpose because all of life becomes, how do I live in a way that glorifies God? How do I seek pleasure in the way that God intended me to seek pleasure? How do I accomplish things that will glorify him and not me? How can I seek his wisdom and do work in a way that glorifies him and and images him or shows the world uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We get all these gifts to enjoy and living with true wisdom is to see and receive all of life as this gift from God. Now I want you to notice something that uh, it makes very clear this idea that sinners are given the task of gathering and storing wealth. And this is an interesting uh, verse that I won't go into too much. However, I will say this. Um, first, a question maybe. How many generations does a millionaire's or a, a, like a massive fortune last? So if somebody has a billion dollars, how many years or how many generations does that fortune last on average consistently across western culture it's three generations by the third generation the money is all gone solomon is telling us something that seems to just be true that that extreme wealth is actually a bit of a curse 
that extreme wealth is given to people not for them, but it's actually given to them and it's accumulated on them to be distributed afterwards. So when we see, um, like I, 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 I say this because our world is becoming even more polarized and I'm trying to find ways to empathize for people like Donald Trump. How do I, how do I view him as a person separate from the, the office that he presides in presently, but how do I view him as a person who is, uh, who is loved by God and how do I see him rightly? And I think this is one of these things. He is a sinner who has been given tons and tons of wealth, tons of riches for the purpose of eventual redistribution that God will do over the earth. And that just makes, that breaks my heart for him and wanting him to then see the light of Jesus and makes me want to pray for him even more than, than I do, which is not as often as I should. I think that's true of all of us. But this is true of wealth. We, we, you know, we think that, you know, our life will be better if we just have more and more wealth. But Solomon says, you know, what's, you know what that accumulation of extreme wealth is actually a sign of? It's not a sign that you are a person who is blessed by God infinitely. It's a sign that you are a sinner who is holding on to things that should actually be, be redistributed through the world. You're, be, you're being given a gift that, you're hold, that that is being given to you for the sake of others and you're just holding on to it. What do we do? What are we, what are we doing in our lives? Or what, what does God give us that maybe we're doing that with? Money's a really easy thing. A billionaire is an easy thing to point out. What good gifts is God giving you, not for your own sake, but to be able to bless others with that you're just holding on to? Passages like this call us to repent of that holding on, of that grasping close, and invites us to open our hands and to share those gifts with others. But at the end of the day, what does Solomon say? This too is meaningless. This too is meaningless. This too is a vapor. Even the redistribution, redistribution of wealth is just a vapor. And so what's all, what is, what's the point? Again, I'll say this, the meaningful life is all about focus. If we want to live a fulfilled, meaning-filled life, our focus is key. And, and Solomon says, our focus is first on heaven and then on the earth. If we want to experience the good life and want satisfaction and fulfillment, we won't find it under the sun. Instead, we will find it by knowing God and glorifying him. And showing the world his character through how we live as his followers. By living as he intended and living worshipful lives, worshiping God with all of our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength. So as you go into this week, my prayer for you is that God would grant you a first focus on heaven so that you can engage in in the day-to-day -day life under the sun with wisdom and experience 
God's good life and experience life as the gift that it certainly is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you remind us that pleasures and wisdom and work, these things that are good things, are ultimately all meaningless, especially apart from you. And I pray that this week you would give us a sense of your presence and that you would orient our mind heavenward so that we would experience all that you give us as a gift. Maybe we've experienced life as a gift before and we're asking you to help us to experience it that way again. But I think for many of us, we've never experienced life as a gift. We've never experienced life as something that you give us graciously. And so, Father, for all of the things that we have in our life, for all of the opportunities, for all of this technology, for all of all of it, I pray that you would help us to receive it um, with gratitude. Receive all that you give us with gratitude and help us to use all that you give us to your glory and for the good of our neighbors. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.